This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times bestselling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. You're listening to The Russell Moore Show, and here at The Russell Moore Show, we bring you conversations to help you navigate Christian faith in confusing times. Through the next several weeks, conversations on the podcast will revolve around themes in Russell Moore's newest book, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. It's a book that Publishers Weekly says will buoy disillusioned hearts and minds. Losing Our Religion is available wherever you buy your books. So if you're feeling disillusioned and looking for clear-eyed gospel hope, we hope you enjoy these upcoming conversations. And to pique your curiosity, today we are talking about revival. And in Russell's book, Losing Our Religion, he writes this, To get there, that is to revival, evangelical Christians in this time of confusion and disorientation must discern what precisely it is that we are seeking to revive. In this conversation, Russell chats with Jackie Hill Perry about the possibility of revival, what does it look like to practice revival and holiness personally, and what to do if we're a little bit jaded about that term. Listen in. I am here with Jackie Hill Perry, who's a poet, writer, Bible teacher, artist, she and her husband, Preston, co-host my wife's favorite podcast. I'll try not to take that personally, but <laughs> it's her favorite podcast. And she has written uh, several books, but including uh, the one Holier Than Thou, which we're going to talk about uh, quite a bit today because I want to talk about revival and holiness and these sorts of issues. But I have respected the work of Jackie Hill Perry from the minute I first heard her speak. And that was a while uh, back. Jackie, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. 
You, know, you actually just reminded me of something. Sorry to that? interrupt you. No. But I'm, affir- I'm affirming something. I just remembered that I started out doing ministry primarily as a poet. Uh-huh. And then, but I had this desire to teach God's word. And I said, Lord, can you please open up doors for me to teach? And was it was when you invited me to speak at ERLC that actually opened the is doors for right? me to teach scripture. Oh, yeah, that is so cool. That, so that's beautiful. That is great. That is great. Well, yeah, I'm wondering when you think about this issue of holiness as it relates to revival. Hmm. You know, I have a lot of young Christians who will say to me, I don't even know how to do this because maybe maybe my parents weren't Christians or I didn't grow up in a church or maybe I just wasn't discipled and taught in a church. And I don't even know how to go about thinking about pursuing holiness. How, how do you normally help somebody through that? Yeah, I think there's a few ways, but I, I think one common approach really is just the story in Isaiah six, mm. you know, where Isaiah he goes before the throne and has this 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 vision in which he sees the Lord and he hears the angels saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Um, but then in his vision, even if there's no explanation necessarily of what holiness means, he has this just aware of his own sinfulness, like I am a man of unclean lips, but also this awareness of the sinfulness of the people in which he associates with, like, and I'm in a place surrounded by people with mm-hmm. unclean lips. But then there's this commissioning where it's like, Lord, like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so I, I've kind of started there. Like, what does it mean for God to be so pure that even if he doesn't have to explain himself, something about his nature reveals our own nature, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one. I think, two, the Ten Commandments kind of get a bad rap. I think with my generation, because it feels weird, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, don't make idols, go do something on the Sabbath, love people, all the things. But I think, what if we imagined God's law really as a way for us to understand who God is, right? Like, of mm-hmm. course, he's going to say, don't lie, because he's honest. He's yeah. going to say, don't steal, because he's generous. And so I think that kind of allows people to see that holiness actually is really beneficial. And it's something that we want everyone to walk in. We just don't know that. Like, we want people to be honest. And mm-hmm. so the expectations that we actually place on our neighbors are the expectations that God actually lives up to. I wonder if you've seen this, because I see it all the time, that you have people who struggle in one way or the other. There are some people who struggle because they think, you know, I don't really take sin that seriously. We're all human. God understands. There's some of that. But I see even more people who feel like God's mad at them uh, mm-hmm. because they they keep kind of falling uh, when it comes to some pattern of sin or the other, and they're just at a point of despair. Mm-hmm. Do, do you notice that? How do you help somebody who, because it all ends up, seems to me, in the same place. Yeah. If, if somebody says, ah, God doesn't care what I do, that leads in, in one place. And if somebody says, no matter what I do, I can't ever actually make any progress in holiness, yeah. they give up too. Yeah. Um, when I was studying for Holier Than Thou, I think... What kind of struck me is this concept that God's love 
is dependent on God being holy. And what was interesting about that is that a lot of times the way I was raised, holiness was always about rule keeping, law keeping, Mm. obey. If you don't, you go to hell. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when you read through the Old Testament, you actually see more mercy than you see wrath. You see God saying, hey, guys, I'm about to like, you know, destroy Egypt. I want you to put some blood on the doorpost and the angel of death is going to pass over you. They didn't ask him for Mm -hmm. mercy. They didn't ask him for deliverance. He invited them into the opportunity to receive that mercy and that grace. And I think, is that not holiness too, Mm -hmm. for God to be gracious, for God to be merciful? And so I, I just wonder if we have understood love and holiness as actually being interdependent. Not just wrath and justice. Do you think there's something unique? I mean, we, every era deals with sin and holiness and seeking mercy and so forth. But do you think there's something unique about this technological moment uh, hmm. for people trying to follow Christ that's just different? Something I've been thinking about all Week, So this isn't a thought through idea, Mm -hmm. but I've just been wondering if we just are learning too much, Hmm. you know, and if that's actually creating more space for confusion, because it's just a lack of simplicity, even when it comes to our sources of education. So what I mean is you open up threads. I don't know if people use Twitter or X anymore, but you open Mm -hmm. up threads and it's content. It's content. You open Mm -hmm. up Instagram. It's content. You open up TikTok. It's content. You go to YouTube. It's content. You want to listen to podcasts. You have so many options. And so we're learning so many things and we don't necessarily have the grid or the, even the discipleship cultivated framework to choose what is true. Mm. And so I, I think that might be unique. I just I just doubt in 1820, people had so many options to sift through. Yeah, And I, I would assume that that's really overwhelming to my generation. I was hearing somebody, I can't even remember who it is now, was talking about envy mm. and saying that when he grew up, he was in houses that were a little better than his but hmm. he, he wasn't in a house that was amazingly better than his. Hmm. And now he said you can pull up Zillow and people can see everything they compare hmm. themselves to, not just their neighbor, which people have always done, but to everybody. And his yeah. point was kind of similar to yours. There's there's just so much information there that the human mind isn't meant to be able to sort through all of that. Yeah, it's too, it's, it's, it's information overload for sure. Do you think that when it comes to, for instance, prayer, Bible reading, a lot of people, what they say to me is, I can't maintain the attention to, to Hmm. do that. They'll say, Mm -hmm. I, I try to pray, my mind wanders off. I try to read scripture and my mind is just so Google-fied that mm-hmm. it's hard for me to read through the text. What What's a way for somebody to, to start getting some mastery over that, do you think? Hmm. Hmm. I, I think, I, I do think that let me back up. I, I was thinking about how one time my, I have four children, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of, a, a lot of experience with kids now. And <laughs> my daughter, she never has to sit through commercials. 
Oh, yeah. And I remember observing that one day, like, you know, oh, you just kind of can just skip. Or if she wants to go get a snack, she she is really adamant. This is my oldest daughter on pausing the TV so that she can go get a snack. <laughs> and when I was a kid, it was like I had to pick and choose at yeah. what point to get up because I knew I was ultimately going to miss something. And I think there's this sense in which the way our culture is constructed, we are not used to boredom anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, so I wonder if that's actually something that we need to explore is if when we're praying and, and when we're reading, if our inability to stay there is because we're bored. <laughs> yeah. we, we just we're so used to being entertained and doing something that even sitting with God in solitude and solitary just doesn't satisfy us anymore. You have four kids and you have a very busy life and you're at a very busy stage of life. How do you keep from just kind of being in the whirl of all of that? Mm. The way a a lot of people are when they say, "I, I kind of would like to spend time with God, but I look back and the week's gone. Because yeah. it just was a blur of activity. Have you found anything that, that helps to, to navigate through that? First and foremost, I think God is just, he's been gracious where he is the one who will constantly kind of redirect me or reorient me hmm. um, back to him. I, I've also become attentive to what it, it, the difference in my ability to bear fruit when I'm pursuing God and the difference when I'm just kind of on autopilot. For mm. example, I had a, a interview six or seven weeks ago. And in the interview, when I was talking, I didn't feel this freedom of wisdom. And what I mean is there's this, this thing that like when me and God are like, when I'm like abiding, just stuff just flows and it just makes sense. And there's just a clarity in my mind. I think mm-hmm. some preachers would call it unction. And I just didn't have that. I just felt really dry. And I thought to myself, I don't think I'm abiding because I'm not bearing fruit to the degree that I know that I can. Mm. And so I I just sat with the Lord with that. And I I felt the Spirit of God say, you are not sufficient for these things. You need me. Apart from me, you can do no no thing, (laughs) nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think... I think what's helpful is to even see and be reminded that if we really want to do some good in the world, in our families, in our friendships, in our lives, with our spouses, whatever, we literally need him. And I think that awareness of need is the the fundamental thing that actually keep you at his feet. Hmm. You became a Christian in 2008. Is that right? Yes. Yes, sir. What was compelling to you about the gospel? How, how did the Lord get through to you? What was it that caused you to say, yeah, mm. I'm going to follow this? I don't know if I've ever gotten that question phrased that way. I didn't. It, I was very aware that I had no other option. Hmm. It was <laughs> it was like, hey. I am in some sin, in some miry clay, and I am a slave to it, and I enjoy it, and I want it. But the Holy Spirit has convicted me to see that the life I live and the way I'm continuing will be death. Like, the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing that I can do 
to get me out of that situation or that predicament. And so I think that was the compelling part was he had presented himself to me by the power of his spirit and through the little Bible that I knew that he was the only one who could save me. And so I just turned to him and I said specifically, I was like, Lord, I don't know what it means to trust you, but I know enough about you to know that you'll help me. That was the sentence that I said to God. And ever since then, he's been helping me. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Was there somebody that was sort of leading you along or were you working through all this on your own? I was by myself. I was in my bedroom. But I do think that the kind of loose theological framework that I had as Jesus as Savior, sin as something that will kill you, all the things, was because I had an aunt who raised me in church when I was like a baby till probably Mm. seven or eight. And so being around her, kind of hearing scripture, seeing her sing the Psalms, which was always really strange because they never rhymed. So Mm. it was always interesting to me that she Mm -hmm. would, and she would just be devotionally just singing the Psalms out loud at 5 p.m. on the Thursday. I think that is what the Holy Spirit used to kind of draw me. Do you think that there was some influence of that, even before you were a Christian, some influence of the scriptures on your being drawn to poetry and spoken word? Because hmm. it would seem that, that the, the influence of the Bible, which is so poetic, and, yeah. and so it would seem that that would maybe play a role. Yeah, maybe. I think I know enough about myself now to know that the way the Lord has made me, I just really enjoy words mm-hmm. and words that have meaning and depth. And so I think when I started to get into poetry, it was because that seemed to be both, both words and depth together. So, yeah. When, when you think about a revival, it's a word that we don't use a lot right mm-hmm. now for a lot of reasons. And I think part of that is people have have almost given up on the possibility of mm-hmm. revival. Do you think that's right? Do you think that we've really lost any sense of expectancy that things could mm-hmm. be renewed? Can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. In light of your conversation with Mike Cosper that I listened to, you guys referenced uh, A.W. Tozer. Mm-hmm. And I started to read last night the the reference that you were making, and Tozer was kind of speaking to the idea of you know, things have to kind of be exploded (laughs) and like destructed. And so I think in my mind, like, how do we even define revival? Because in some people's minds, revival is this tent meeting with thousands of people going to the altar. But Mm -hmm. I just wonder, how does scripture see revival? Yeah. Yeah, I I do. I do definitely think it's a blowing up and a repiecing Mm. together that starts with it starts with a kind of um, bewilderment. I mean, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. God first shows him the dead bones and says, mm-hmm. what do you see? 
Mm-hmm. What, what can happen? Can these bones live? And I think that's a key part of it is for mm-hmm. a church or for a group of churches to say, we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's probably part of the part of the problem is sometimes we don't know just how much in crisis we are because mm-hmm. things are normalized. We don't know how dead we've become, mm-hmm. that there's no sense of desperation yeah. for it. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a key part of it. I think I'm a bit skeptical of the possibility. Skeptical of the possibility of revival? Yeah. And that's hard to admit because God can do anything. Yeah. But I, I think I've just become a bit jaded mm-hmm. by the degree to which we don't want him. And yeah. so it's just made me kind of disheartened, even when it comes to just some of my experiences in Christian ministry, just seeing how much of it is like I'm living inside of this system that's trying to behave like it's not a system Mm -hmm. when in fact it is. (laughs) And these are the systems that actually have power and influence on local churches and local systems. And so I want to say anything is possible, Mm -hmm. but I just, I feel like narrow is the way to life and few will find it. What do you think about things like Asbury Revival and and the things that have happened on campuses? Are you skeptical of those things or or do you you find some hope there? I think I'm always kind of like, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate it. I think I'm just always waiting to see the longevity of it. Yeah. Right. Like beyond the moment, are they still with God? Is there is are they still bearing fruit? Is there is there evangelism happening on the campus? Is there discipleship? Is there churches being planted? I think I I like to sit back and watch and see what actually happens before I can affirm if what happened was what happened. Yeah. And, and what would you look for if you're saying this is a church that I really think is doing it right, is is in a, mm. a stage of revival. God's God's blessing them and not necessarily, you know, blessing them in terms of prospering, but, mm-hmm. but blessing them. How would you know? What would you look for in that church to see that? Hmm. That's good. I, I've been more mindful of how much the spiritual condition, discernment, awareness, wisdom of the leadership really does influence the way a church kind of functions in many Mm. ways. And so I would probably look to the leadership first, like, how are you (laughs) with God? Are you still learning? Are you still, because the people that I'm, I'm in relationship with who are always being revived. And and I think, you know, and and what I mean is not being destroyed, but always growing are the people who are so sensitive to God's spirit at work in the little things. Like, and so they're constantly adjusting and being very like, oh, the Lord told me to go this way. So I think just seeing how dependent leadership is on the spirit and Mm -hmm. then how they're implementing that in their leaders and in their churches and even in their sermons and in their music, that would be a big sign to me that the spirit of God is at work here. What about somebody who's nervous about direction spirit? I mean, you, you mentioned the people in your life who are really renewed and mm-hmm. uh, that it's the little things the spirit's directing them in. Um, what about the person who says, oh, wait, 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 that's too mystical for me. That makes me, that, that's too subjective. It makes me nervous. Yeah. What sort of counsel would you have for them? 
read the Bible with <laughs> <laughs> with with perhaps a different lens than what they're used to. Because mm. I think even when you read Acts, you see Paul very perceptive of the Spirit in his life. Like, I intended to go here, and the Spirit told me to go here, right? Yeah. And so I, I think we have to admit that we are afraid of the Holy Spirit, yeah. some of us, and much of which is because we're afraid of losing control, maybe, uh -huh. and perhaps because we live within theological communities that might have suggestions about how the Holy Spirit is to be honored and lifted up. But we have to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit can also be quenched. Mm -hmm. If Paul says that he can be, then it is possible that we do it more than we're willing to admit. How, how do you know what's the directing of the Holy Spirit and what's just your own mind? Because mm -hmm. I know I can trick myself. My mm -hmm. heart is deceitful above all things. And mm -hmm. I think if there's something I really want to do, I think I could convince myself, well, the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing this to mind mm -hmm. when really I just keep thinking mm -hmm. about it because I, I yeah. want to do it. How do, yeah. you, how do you know, okay, this actually is the Spirit. It's, it's not just me trying to manipulate things. Yeah. I think in that same, I think that's Thessalonians, but I could be wrong, where Paul says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. And so mm -hmm. I think that process of testing is important for me. I'll just speak for me is one, is it in scripture? And there's some, I think, gray areas. For example, I was driving a couple months ago and listening to a podcast and I really sensed the spirit saying, not verbally, but there was just kind of this, this sense in which God was directing me to homeschool my children. Mm. I said, I don't want to mm -hmm. do that. <laughs> like, I feel like homeschool kids are weird. No shade to anybody that's homeschooling. I just like, I just like them to be in public school. It gives me free time during the day. Like, so that's one sign. I, I wouldn't tell myself that, first of yeah. all. Yeah. Second of all, I was like, okay, I am not a solitary parent. I am married to somebody. Uh -huh. And so this, if the Spirit is saying this to me, then in some way he's going to be leading my husband in a similar direction, if not now at some point. So I, I pulled over and I prayed. And I said, Lord, if you are telling me <laughs> that we need to homeschool our children, please use Preston to confirm this. I called Preston on the phone, my husband. I said, I had this really strange moment where I don't know if we're supposed to homeschool our kids. I was like, but you should pray about it. And he was like, wow. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, I had been having some conversations with friends about homeschooling our children, and I didn't want to bring it up to you. So I prayed and said, uh, God, if you want me to homeschool our children, let Jackie know. Oh, so that's awesome. I, <laughs> I think me and my husband have moments like that often. So I think inviting community into what you sense, quote unquote, God saying, confirming it in the scripture, we are raising and instructing our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord through homeschooling, right? So there, there's some affirmation there. And then three, having a heart that is open to the possibility that, that you're wrong, but also that the Holy Spirit is right. And so I think humility is is there. It did, did, have you started the homeschooling yet? We start in two weeks. Okay. All right. Are you uh, nervous? <laughs> I'm terrified. Yeah. I'm so scared. Yeah. I am not good at math or nothing. I'm like, I don't know. I, I got y'all on theology and language arts. Uh, so. Well, you and me both. That's, uh, that's exactly <laughs> the dynamic here. <laughs> Thank you. 
What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. You're, I think it was your first book. Um, maybe not. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Gay Girl, Good God, I think mm-hmm. was, the, was the title of it. And since then, I mean, when you think about parenting, one of the main things that people say is, I don't really know what to do in raising children with all of the sort of questions around gender, sexuality, and so forth that previous generations just didn't have to ask, mm, never mm-hmm. asked. And a lot of times parents are saying, how do I do this in, in mm. a way that can actually give some clarity to my children, but isn't adding to the confusion? Ha- mm. Have you found something that, that you counsel people to, to get them through this sort of moment? I really have. I haven't, Dr. Moore, because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me and Preston were having a conversation the other day because I was talking to our daughters about what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, who's eight, she was like, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Because both of them sin. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband, I said, I feel like parenting for me, since I wasn't raised by Christian parents, it feels like I'm winging it mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole time. Like I'm just mm-hmm. entrusting myself to God to help me. But he has helped me and he he is helping me. And one thing you said a long time ago when we did that curriculum about mm-hmm. parenting I've really put that in my pocket, which was you said that parents often function on the defensive rather than the offensive. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think that that's a big thing, which is we we don't need to always be responding, but instructing. What are some preliminary things I could just be pouring into my child so that if ever they are exposed or wrestle or are tempted by some of the things that they see or are exposed to, they already have context for it and they feel the freedom to discuss it with us because we've opened the door for them to know about it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good point because I was just hearing somebody say the other day, he was talking about the difference in having grandparents right around and not. And what Mm -hmm. he said was the key value more than anything else that grandparents had was to sort of help to teach parents what to freak out about and what not to. And when I heard that, I stepped back and said, that is so true because with our oldest kids, I just freaked out about mm. 
a lot of things that by the time the third and fourth one came along, I was, yeah, that, I, I, I'm not panicked about that. I'm yeah. not tensed up about that. And yeah. I think sometimes that sense of, oh, no, uh, mm. I think kids can, t- can sense that. When it's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, I'm scared to talk about this because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what to say. They're very perceptive. They yeah. really are. Yeah. Jackie Hill Perry, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm grateful to God for your ministry and uh, always, always thankful to God for you and for Preston. How can uh, how can people check out your podcast if they want to listen to it? Yeah, I mean, we're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and it used to be 30 minutes with the Perrys, but the Saints were asking for hour with uh-huh. the Perrys. So now it's just with the Perrys. With the Perrys. All right. <laughs> yeah. Jackie Hill Perry, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Moore. It is always a good time when there's a Moore family reunion. And by that, I mean Beth Moore. And uh, I am really looking forward to an event that's coming up around the launch of my new book, uh, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. Beth Moore, my friend, my sister, who in almost every citation of us, it says no relation, but there's lots of relation in Christ. She is hosting an evening of conversation, two of us, on Wednesday, August the 9th at 7 p.m. in her hometown of Houston, Texas. And so I'll be there physically live with Beth, and you can join us in Houston or via live stream on CT's YouTube channel. And for more details, you can head over to russellmore.com forward slash events, and you can see how you can be a part. It's going to be a really good time, lots of laughter, lots of questions. And so come join us and hope you'll grab your copy of the book too. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry and Azare Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.